Acts 6 this morning. It is Gideon's Sunday, which means that uh, we get a nice update here from the Gideons. Absolutely love the Gideons, one of the best ministries that we support. I love the pure simplicity of it. Let's just get God's word out to people that are going through a tough time. And a lot of times what we do as a church, in lieu of sending flowers for funerals, etc., we usually do a, a Gideon's uh, Bibles there. It's a wonderful opportunity. And we've had Mark Schwieber come out before for the last couple of years and love the testimony he gives and loves to hear what the ministry of what the Gideon's is doing. So without much further ado, we'll go ahead and call him up. He's going to fill us in on what the Lord is doing to the Gideon's. How's that work? Good morning, everyone. It is great to be here. Great to be here. I was remarking to the folks when I came in, you know, it doesn't matter if you're two miles or 20 miles away, it takes just as long to hook the dogs up to the sled. (laughs) It is my pleasure to be with you today. I want to start out and end the same way by saying thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your generous and loyal support to the mission and the ministry of the Gideons. It is folks like you and us and our Lord and Savior working together that make all this possible. So again, I want to say thank you so much. You know, unfortunately, I can't do much of anything about the cold and the snow outside. But perhaps, perhaps just for a moment this morning, I can help warm yours and my heart as well. I'll share with you a testimony that perhaps may just do that. Terry Hensley was a single mom in Billings, Montana, and she was working a full-time job. Life was tough. Life was difficult. She knew her life was meaningless and spiraling downhill when she looked into the mirror and all she saw was failure. She knew she'd hit rock bottom when she found herself in a darkened closet with a loaded gun in her hand about to end her life, and she cried out loud, Lord, if possible, can, can you... Change my life. Can you help me now? Give me some sort of sign. At that very moment, her son comes running through the front door and saying, Mom, Mom, I want to show you something. He's holding in his hand a testament he received in school that very day. Well, hearing that, she came outside to see what he had. And lo and behold, they began to read that testament together. And so began her faith journey in this life. Hopefully that, folks, gives a little bit of warming in your heart despite all this cold snow outside that can help give us hope for helping many people to find salvation. And as Pastor uh, had just spoken about, our mission is simple. It is purely for this. It is to win others to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. How do we do that? We do it by personal witnessing and also the placement and distribution of scriptures wherever we possibly can. Well, what's happened during this past year? Pleased to announce that the Gideons International and all of you and our Lord working together were able to distribute 84 million copies of scriptures worldwide. That's a significant achievement, and if my information is correct, that is an all-time record. Congratulations to each and every one of you. You've all had a part in making that possible. I still like to use this one bit of lyrics from a hymn in my, my home church that really sum it up so well. It goes like this. We all are one in mission. We all are one in call. Our very gifts united. 
by Christ the Lord of all. A single great commission compels us from above to plan and work together that all may know Christ's love. Well, you know, we can make a difference. We will make a difference because in Isaiah 55, verse 11, the word of God says this to us. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. With that promise of God, we know our work of spreading scriptures and bringing other people to faith will not be in vain. We have great faith and confidence that that will happen. Well, in Henry County, as well as Gideon's across this country, we still and will continue to distribute scriptures in all the traditional locations. Hospitals, schools, members going into the military, as I understand one of, one of your own is doing that as well. Uh, EMTs, firemen, police, we try to touch all those, hotels and motels, as you've all seen. So none of that has changed. Scriptures are translated into 90 different languages, reaching about 75% of the world's population. Quite a task. You know, individually, you and I and our own individual churches would not be able to reach that far and that wide to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus. But working together, we can. How might you help? Well, as you can see, there's an insert in your bulletin for contributions. As Pastor Irvin was saying, you certainly make use of the uh, cards of thinking of you or in memory or any, marking any special occasions. Wonderful, great, thoughtful ways to convey a message of love and caring to folks who potentially have every material possession that they want or need. But that's a great, thoughtful way of expressing your, your love for them. Variety of other ways. Pray for the Gideons. Pray that the ministry of the Gideons will continue to move forward, that obstacles and roadblocks will be removed and prevent those impediments. Join as a Gideon member. You've got some Gideons amongst your midst. I'm sure be happy to share with you. But if you have a question for me after the, after the service today, please feel free to come on over and I'll do my best to answer those for you. Provide financial support. A number of ways, the gift cards, the Thinking View cards, the Bolton insert, uh, this congregation over the years has been so generous in providing contributions for the ministry of the Gideons like that. I want to say thank you once again. And I certainly look forward to continuing this relationship. Oh, we're about to tax time once again. Contributions to the Gideons are 100% tax deductible. And we're also pleased to say that of your contributions, 100% goes to the purchase and distribution of those scriptures worldwide. It's a very efficient process. We don't do any extracting those funds for fundraising or any other advertisement like that. A dollar goes, goes to the scriptures. Well, as I said, I wanted to end as I started by saying thank you, and thank you so much. And I pray that you will continue to generously support the Gideons into the future. Let's continue to work together to make a difference in people's lives here today and for eternity. Thank you very much. Like Mark said, if you have any questions about the Gideons, feel free to get a chance to chat with him if you'd like. And as a church also, we'll be making a gift as well to the Gideons there to further that ministry and to support that as well. So, all right, it will be in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6.
Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses uh, 8 through 15 here and finish up chapter 6. So Acts chapter 6, let's do the smart thing while we pray. As always, Lord, we pray you would teach, we would listen, let your spirit guide and direct, and let it truly be spirit-led in all ways and all things. Lord, we pray for safety for those that are out on the road, safety as we head back, and thank you for just being able to get a chance to meet here, and uh, thank you for this blessing of that in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 6. For those that may forget, my name is Pastor James. Um, (laughs) Continuing our study here in the book of Acts, we're going to do verses 8 through 15. Like I said, a little quick reminder. Main focus here this morning is a man by the name of Stephen. When we last got together, we were introduced to Stephen. Stephen is introduced as one of the first deacons of the church here in Acts chapter 6. And his first job was making sure the widows got their food. Now, Stephen's job kind of grows a little bit here spiritually as we get into this because we find him being a great debater in order of God's word in verses 8 through 15. Now I hate to give away the ending but if you studied this out before in Acts chapter 7 Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church. What we really see here building up is this man Stephen how he went from delivering meals to being this great debater to now being the first martyr of the church and there's this ongoing theme of how that happened and that theme is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's an amazing study as we get into this. So with that being said, let's jump right into it. Verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose among some what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and that came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Now the key phrase here is verse 8. Stephen full of faith and power and great wonders and signs among the people. He was filled We know he was also filled with the Spirit because we come back and we find out in verse 3, part of the reason why he was chosen, he was full of the Holy Spirit. I think this word filled is very important. This sounds like a really dumb point, but just hear me out on this. This word filled means to be not empty. Now, that obviously sounds like the definition of filled, right? But here's the problem. In society, we look at things in all these different areas. You guys have gas tanks on your cars, and in your car is either filled and empty, it's half full, three-fourths, quarter of a tank, etc. You have a glass of water, it's either full, empty, half full, etc. In the Bible, there's no such thing as being half filled with the Spirit. You're either full with the Spirit or you're empty. There is no middle ground on that. And that's why it's so important that it says that he was filled with the Spirit. Because if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're empty in the Spirit. You can't walk around saying Paul the Apostle was half filled with the Spirit today. It doesn't work that way. We as believers are called to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what Stephen was. He was full of the Spirit. And so since he was full of the Spirit, verse 8, he was full of faith and power or faith and grace and did great wonders and signs among the people. What an amazing thing. Now, it tells us in Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. That same phrase there. Two things on that verse of being filled with the Spirit. Number one, it's a command. God's telling you to be filled with the Spirit. Number two, in the original Greek, it's actually speaking a constant filling. Constantly be filled with the Spirit. Anytime before we teach, Lord, fill us with the Spirit. Anytime before we do a counseling session, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. 
Anytime you get together, Lord, fill us with the Spirit. Constantly fill us with the Spirit because we want to be full, not empty. Full of faith and grace and have power. That word power, and we've mentioned this many times before, is from that word dunamis, which we get our word dynamite, which means explosive power. This man, Stephen, who was an ordinary guy, started doing extraordinary things. So how does an ordinary person start to do extraordinary things? When you're full of the Holy Spirit. It's important to note that. Now before we sound like we're putting down the ordinary job of delivering food, if you remember when we got together a few weeks ago and we talked about the first part of Acts chapter 6, we talked about how important that ministry was. We're not trying to downplay delivering food. If you were a widow and you were hungry, you don't want somebody to show up and say, I'll pray food arrives. You want Stephen to show up with the food, saying it's time to eat. His job was very important. But the Lord was training him and preparing him for something even bigger. That I don't even know if Stephen knew that was going on. One of my favorite pastors to listen to is a guy by the name of Greg Laurie. You may have heard of. has a wonderful ministry and a great outreach. He always talks about his first jobs in the church. He mentions how when he got saved, he really wanted to get involved in the church. So he went to the pastor at the time. It was Pastor Chuck. And he asked him, can I serve? I want to serve. Greg Laurie jokes that he has thought that Chuck would give him the pulpit and have him start teaching. Something along that type of line. His first job was raking leaves. He says, we need the leaves raked. Will you go out and rake leaves? So Greg Laurie went out and raked leaves and raked them to the best of his ability for the Lord. Came back in and asked for another job. And they said, well, the doorknob to the nursery is broken. Would you please go get a new doorknob for us? And Greg Laurie tells the story of standing in front of the doorknobs and praying. Lord, help me choose the right doorknob. You know, there's nothing ordinary in the body of Christ. But as the Lord was using him, Greg Laurie was shown to be he was shown that he was to be faithful in the little things. And as he was faithful in the little things, the Lord started giving him more spiritual responsibility. I think it's really interesting that Stephen here has mentioned his first job of delivering food, but a few verses later we see him being the great debater in Acts chapter 6. The Lord was building him and using him. Why? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about this for a little bit. You're either full or you're empty. So you've got to ask yourself that. Am I full of the Holy Spirit or am I empty? See, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you get up tomorrow and you are saying, Lord, who are you going to bring into my life today? Who do I have an opportunity to share with, to talk to? I wonder what's going to be in God's word this morning. I wonder what the Lord has in store today. And I'm just excited to see what God has. I'm not trying to pick. But if you're not full of the Spirit, you probably get up tomorrow and say, I've got to go to work. And then when I get home from work, I probably got to get those dishes done. I think the kids got something going on. Okay, we'll get that done. And then I'm going to go to bed. And guess what I'm going to do the next day? Repeat the whole thing again. Because you're walking in this world, this emptiness of laundry and dishes and kids and all that type. That stuff's all important, don't get me wrong. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, there's this divine hand upon you saying, Lord, this is not just an ordinary day. This is a day to impact people for Jesus Christ. This is a day that may be the last day on this earth for me. Through death or rapture, I want to be ready. And you see Stephen full, full. What's it look like when you're full of the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, Aaron, who was the first high priest, was full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible said. And he was anointed with oil. And you've heard us say this point before, that oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so they would anoint Aaron with oil. And the Bible says it wasn't just a little oil on the head. It drenched him. Dripped off his face, off his beard, off his clothes. He was completely drenched in oil. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit. To be completely drenched and the things of God. The Bible uses this term, the Holy Spirit being upon you. Not just in you, not just with you, but upon you. 
where you feel like I am a puzzle piece of the Lord and wherever he wants to put me and use me, I am ready for that. And my day is not a day of mundane. My day is a day of extraordinary things to see what God has in store. See, Stephen was an ordinary person that did extraordinary things because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And what a blessing that is. So what did he do? We see the great wonders and signs, verse 8. And as he's doing these things, remember, what's the purpose of signs and wonders? The purpose of signs and wonders are to be something so amazing, so miraculous, that there's no answer but God. So that way, when Stephen would do these things, people would stop and say, that's impossible. That's the point. It is impossible. Only answer would, it would have to be something from the Lord. So these signs and wonders pointed people towards God. What happens now in verse 9, you see this group of the synagogue. Now, back during this time, there was the temple, but they had these localized places where you could get together for the scripture reading and fellowship, etc., that was called synagogues. And this synagogue of the freedmen had people from Cyrene and Alexander and from Sicily, etc. So these people started disputing. Verse 9, disputing, some of your Bibles, discussing, debating, arguing with Stephen. Now, isn't it interesting? As Christians, we do everything we can to try to not argue. But there's always somebody that wants to argue. We have to find this balance here. I'm called to dispute, discuss, debate the faith, but I'm also told to stay out of dumb arguments. The verses that uh, we just had the boys recently learn at home, it's out of 2 Timothy, where it says that as a Christian, we're supposed to stay away from foolish, ignorant arguments. There's a lot of foolish, ignorant arguments in the urban household. About 90% of everything that happens is a foolish, ignorant argument. I account for the 10% of non-foolish, ignorant arguments. So we had them learn this verse. And so now there's this phrase at home. Anytime you start seeing this dumb argument pop up, guys, that's a foolish argument. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 20, verse 3. Any fool can start a quarrel, but an honorable man wants to end a dispute. Seriously, think about that. How much effort does it take to have an argument and to keep it going? The Bible says that's a fool. Any fool can keep an argument going. An honorable man steps up and says, I want this to end. So what you see here with Stephen is he's disputing. So God is telling me not to argue, but God is telling me to argue. We argue about those things that are of the faith. One of my little rules I have is I usually don't get into arguments and debates with other believers about things of the Bible. What's the point of that? I had a situation that happened years ago. I was asked by somebody, can you go please talk to this person? And it happened to be about baptism. And, you know, baptism, can you go talk to him about it? So, fine, I would. Showed up to talk to this person, had a couple of people from church that came to, found out that there was another pastor there from a different church that had a different opinion, and they brought people. So here we are around this little table, and there's three on this side, three on this side, and here's this person in the middle that had the questions. And as we're going back and forth, back and forth, debating, I looked at this person thinking, we're just pushing this person farther away from Jesus. Because they just sat there thinking, they can't even figure out. So when it comes to things of the Bible, and I'm just trying to think of an example, you come up and you say, well, I believe in mid-trib, post-trib, and you believe in pre-trib. I would say, let's just get together and talk about it. We don't have to debate. We don't have to argue. Let's just get together and talk about it. What's the point of debating and arguing with other believers? Now, what happens if you come up to me and you say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins? Oh, by golly, we're going to have an argument right then and there. Because those are things that are vital. Too often as believers, we get into foolish, ignorant disputes that aren't worth it. 
Proverbs 20, verse 3, one more time. Any fool can start a quarrel. An honest, excuse me, an honorable man brings an end to the contention. So if somebody comes up to me and says, I don't believe in the Bible, I'll dispute you on that one. Somebody comes up to me and says, I don't believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins, I'll dispute you on that one. That's biblical. In fact, Peter wrote, this is a great passage. If you're taking notes, write it down. 1 Peter 3.15, 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give a defense of the gospel to anybody who asks you. We as believers should be able to understand what we believe, why we believe it, and if somebody would come up to us and say, are you a Christian? Yes. Why? Hopefully give an eloquent answer. It doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be theological, but it needs to be an answer. Too often, when I talk to people about the Lord and the subject of salvation comes up, hey, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, why are you a Christian? When did you get saved? I don't know. I guess my mom and dad always took me to church, and uh, I don't know. It was just something we always did as a kid. Well, wait a second here. Where's, where's your time where you realize you're a sinner destined for hell, and only Jesus can pull you out of hell? I don't know. We just always went to church as a kid, and see, that, that's kind of concerning. You know, once again, I'm not asking somebody to come quote every verse in Romans, but if someone comes up to you and says, are you a Christian? Yes. Why? I hope that we can answer that. You know, David wrote in Psalm 119, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. David wrote, I want to have an answer to the person that comes up and questions my salvation. And where does David get the answer? He says he gets the answer from the word. That's why we are so animate on verse by verse. Let's study the Bible here to make sure we have an understanding of God's word. Because when you proclaim Christ, be it at home, at work, what have you, somebody is going to disagree with you. Do you know what you believe and can you answer those questions? Stephen could through the Spirit and that's why he's out there doing that. Let's talk about a little bit more about this. What you see with Stephen is just this attitude of service as we mentioned before. There's a great passage in Zechariah that says, Do not despise the day of the small things. Meaning those little things that you don't think are important grow into something much, much bigger. Much bigger. You know, the Lord said in Luke about how that you've been faithful in the little things, and since you've been faithful in the little things, more will be given to you. And as more is given to you, you now have more responsibility. Here's the problem. There's some people that hear that and say, I don't want more. I don't want more responsibility. I know Christians that do everything they can to get out of being in charge of things or to having spiritual responsibility. Listen, if the Lord has called you, he's also gifted you to do it. As we said before, Stephen was an ordinary person that can do extraordinary things. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit that was in him. You and I are not capable of doing anything. But when we show the Lord that we're faithful in the small things, he'll bless us with more. Now, blessed with more does not necessarily mean numerically more. In this society we live in, everything is always about people. How many people came to the study? How many people came to church? How many people are going to get baptized here at the end of the month? How many people this? It's not about numbers. It's about the impact of the ministry. If one person is impacted by that, then that's all that matters. And what we see here with Stephen giving more responsibility doesn't necessarily mean numerically. The guy's going to get murdered here at the end of the next chapter. But he was faithful in those things. So maybe your more responsibility is that you're going to disciple somebody one-on-one. Maybe your more responsibility is you're going to be the one at work that people always come up and say, hey, would you pray for this? Maybe your responsibility is you're going to say, every night I'm going to make sure I pray and do disciple, de- devotions with my kids. I don't know. 
But the Lord will bless you with that because you've shown yourself in the small things. And as you see yourself, show yourself in the small things, God says, I want to use you more. And what a privilege that is. Stephen went from delivering food to being the great debater. What a blessing that was. And once again, how did this happen? Through the Holy Spirit. I will keep repeating that. Because if we think it's us, how mistaken are we? Nothing. I've made this joke before, and I hope it doesn't come across as being cocky because I really don't mean it that way at all. There's times where Dawn can't make it out to church or she's serving in the back, and I'll come home and she has one of the messages from church on. And I'll walk in, and I'll hear the message, and I'll hear what I said, and I'll say, that was an amazing point. I need to take notes on what I say because it's not me. I know it's not me. I know, I know it's not me. See, I've had people come up, and I should get, just get these comments out of the way. I've had people come up to me this morning and already say, this message better be good. You made me drive out in this this morning. So <laughs> let's set the standard low. I've had people come up and say, you've had two weeks to work on this. You better be really good. If you see my notes, every week we went through this, I just started making more arrows and circles. I don't even know why, but the last thing I wrote was a smiley face. So it ends good. That's all I know. <laughs> my point is this. It's not us. It is not us in any way whatsoever. And if you feel that burden of, I got to give the right answer, I got to pray right, I got to do this, no, you don't. You need to be open to the Spirit and let Him fill you. And as the Spirit uses you, it's all Him. I love this passage in Luke, Luke 12, 11 and 12. Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will do it. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility. I had a situation that happened a while ago, and it was a really big thing. And I knew it was a really big thing. And so I had this meeting set up, and we set it up, and I had a week's notice on this meeting. So every day I just kept praying. I knew what was going to happen. I knew what was going to come up. Lord, what's the answer you want to give? Monday, no answer. Tuesday, no answer. Wednesday, no answer. Finally, Thursday in devotion, the Lord gave this answer. All righty, amen. So now the meeting was coming up. And I realized as I was driving to the meeting, I know they're going to ask a certain question. And I had no idea what to say when they asked it. And this verse just kept coming up, saying the Holy Spirit in that very hour. I got up that morning, was praying, was fasting, was doing everything, had no idea what to say. Got to the meeting, started meeting with them. Everything was going good. It was at that moment I thought the meeting was almost over. And they hadn't asked the question yet. And I thought, amen, I just got to get out of the house. They asked the question. And at that moment, my mouth is opening And I'm thinking, don't screw this up. And this wonderful answer came out. And then my mouth closed, and I thought that wasn't me in any way whatsoever. And they sat there and said, okay. Wow, Lord, thank you. And I don't say that to build me up because it's not me. I know it was the exact thing right here. I did not know what I should say, how I should say it, but at that moment the Spirit gave the answer. That does not mean, once again, we do not have a responsibility. I believe we do have a responsibility to be in the Word, to be in prayer, if the Lord leads you to be in fasting for things, so that way you are prayed up, filled up, and ready. But the Lord will be the one that does it. Stephen, it's this amazing guy. He's out there giving these answers, and look at these things. Verse 10, they're not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit by which he spoke, because it's the Spirit doing this. They, they, they can't even figure out what to say back. So what does the world do when they don't know what to say back? The world says, well, we'll just pick on them. Verse 11, we'll secretly induce men to say bad things about them. We'll stir up the people, verse 12. We'll set up false witnesses, verse 13. That's what the world does. If the world can't figure out how to 
argue back, they'll just start picking on you and your character. That's what the world does. Now, the interesting thing about this, this is why as a Christian, we're called to be, as the word says, blameless. Blameless. I like to call it Teflon Christianity. Nothing sticks to you. They can't argue with you. They can't debate with you. But they try to just mock you. They try to just say negative things about you. But the point is, I'm supposed to be such a witness for the Lord that those things just don't even make sense. That as you're out there living for the Lord, that when they finally can't realize they can't dispute back, they attack your character. But when they start attacking your character to other people, people stop and say, no, I know that person. That can't be true. I remember a few years ago, there was somebody from the community that came out here and made some very serious allegations against somebody that came out to church, and I knew this person quite well. So they came out and made these statements, and I remember telling the person, that can't be true. And they asked, well, how do you know it's not true? I said, I know them. They wouldn't do that. Now, that's not some naive, I don't think people sin, but I know that person. They're blameless in that area. I know that that can't be true. It can't be. That's why it's so important for us to not only be filled with the Spirit, but to also live the life. Because if I don't live the life, all my witnessing, all my prayers, all my words I say to people are going to fall on deaf ears because they're going to look at me and just say hypocrite. Because you're just like everybody else. So at one moment you're telling me about Jesus, but the next moment you're gossiping and cussing out the boss just like me. No, I want to be blameless. I want Teflon. I want nothing to stick to me. Because that's what the world wants to do. The world wants to attack us as a person. And that is their great idea. Once again, verse 11, induce men to speak against them. Verse 12, stir up the people. Verse 13, false witnesses. Nah. What happens? They arrest him. They take him to the Sanhedrin. Verse 15, all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Now, Stephen's got to know what's going on here. You know, first time Peter and John were taken before the Sanhedrin, they threatened him, saying, don't talk about Jesus. Second time they got taken before the Sanhedrin, they were beaten. This is now the third time a Christian's been taken before the Sanhedrin. Now, we know what happened. Stephen's martyred at the end of chapter 7. Stephen had to know his life was on the edge at this moment. But he had the face of an angel. How can that be? There's a little-known gift that we don't talk about enough in the Bible. It's called the gift of faith. The gift of faith is that in a horribly difficult time in your life, the Lord gives you some supernatural faith, and you're able to handle everything that comes your way, and it's not possible that you can. Have you ever heard those testimonies where people talk about the horrible tragedies they've gone through in life, and you sit there and you say to yourself, I I never would be able to handle that. That's right, you can't handle it. But at the moment, the Lord gives you the gift of faith, and you can handle it. Some of you have already been through some experiences like that, where you look back and you say, how did I get through that awful tragedy in my life? Because the Lord gave you the gift of faith to get through it. Some of you are going to have something awful come up and happen, and I don't mean that to be some doomsday whatever. It's a fact, it will. But at that moment when you hear that news, at that moment when you see that thing happen, The Lord will give you faith to say, you can get through this. And I want you to remember those words. When that happens, you can get through this because the Lord will give you the gift of faith, just like he did to Stephen right here. How could Stephen have the face of an angel standing before near certain death? Because he had the gift of faith. What an amazing thing that is. Now, let's go back here. We need to talk about these people in verses 10, 11, and 12. 
the false witnesses, the stirring up, the res- they can't resist. This is just Stephen, the Meals on Wheels guy. And all of a sudden now, he's taken on all these intelligent people. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you will, to uh, 1 Corinthians. This is a passage that we go to a lot, but it bears repeating every time we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a great picture on what the world thinks of us. 1 Corinthians 1, please. Look at verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 sums up almost everything you need to know about dealing with the world. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The world thinks I'm a fool. They do. The world thinks we're completely foolish. I believe that this woman who was a virgin had a baby. And I believe she had this baby in a manger in a stable. And I believe that this baby grew up and at the age of 33 died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he was perfect. And I believe he was the son of God. And I believe three days later that tomb was empty and he rose from the dead. I believe that. You tell that to the world? So you're telling me this woman who claimed that she never was with a guy had a baby, had a baby in a barn, and this baby lives his whole life without ever doing anything wrong. He lives, he claims to be God, he dies on the cross, three days later the tomb is empty, and you want me to believe this. Well, yeah, I do. See, to them, it's foolishness. To me, verse 18, it is the power of God. I believe in a literal six-day creation. I believe Jonah was swallowed by this big fish. I believe Moses parted the Red Sea and everybody crossed through on dry land. Now, to me, that's amazing. To somebody not saved, they honestly think we're the dumbest people in the world. And what happens to us when we hear those things as Christians? We get riled up. Why? They're not saved. I heard somebody say this one time, trying to explain biblical things to somebody not saved is like trying to explain colors to someone who's been blind since birth. They just don't get it. They will not get it until the light has been turned on, the veil has been lifted, and the Holy Spirit penetrates their heart. Now, does this mean we don't keep preaching? No, of course we keep preaching. But don't walk away from a conversation with a non-believer when they think you're a fool and be bothered. Because what did Paul say right here in verse 18? The message of the cross is foolishness to them. But to us, it's the power of God. What does God want to do in verse 19? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Jump ahead to verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The wisest man is still more foolish than the foolishness of God. The strongest man is still more weak than the weakness of God. See, it's not even a comparison. Verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. How was Stephen, who was an ordinary guy, able to do extraordinary things? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. What does it say right here at the end of this passage here in Corinthians? 
Look at this. I'm not wise. I'm not noble. I'm not mighty. I'm weak. I'm debased. I'm foolish. I'm all those things. But the Lord uses me, verse 28. Why? Verse 29, that no flesh of glory in his presence. So that way, when we go out there and are used by the Lord, we can never, ever once say, look what I did. It's what the Lord did through you. That's being full of the Spirit. Because it's not us. It's Him. It's completely Him. So if you've walked in here today, and the Lord has laid something on your heart, and you're just really good at making excuses on why it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit that does it, not you. If there's something that you're dealing with right now, and you realize that you can't, I can't do this, I can't handle this, of course you can't. That's the Holy Spirit in you that can. It's not us. It's Him. It's the Lord that's able to fix all these problems. It's the Lord that's able to give wisdom. It's the Lord that's able to give strength. It's the Lord that does it all. Stephen is an example of that. And when we leave it here in verse 15 of Acts 6, he had the face of an angel. Verse 1 of chapter 7, the high priest said, Are these things so? Then all of a sudden, from verse 2 to verse 53, you have an amazing message of a man that's facing death. How is he able to give this message? How is he be able to do these things? Because it's the Holy Spirit working in him, and he was full of the Spirit. Mar, if you can come forward for the final song. How does an ordinary person do extraordinary things? It's through the Spirit. Stephen, who started off, if you'd say, in the simple ministry of delivering meals, next thing you know is debating people left and right because he was full of the Spirit. Stephen was faithful in the small things, and God blessed him with more. Stephen realized it's the Spirit that does the talking, not us. That's all about him. I hope that encourages us with whatever we're facing. And Stephen, at the end, could have the face of an angel because he realized it was the Lord that was getting him through it and nothing else. Good word more for the final song. Let's go with the word of prayer then.